Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Our chapter for today is Nehemiah chapter 2. Well, Nehemiah the cupbearer is in trouble. That is, he is in trouble emotionally. He's in trouble from the standpoint of his countenance, his face, his expression is sad. And as a cupbearer, that was a very dangerous position to be in. And he knew it. And so he was very afraid. And we'll get into the reasons for that in just a moment. But let's back up and look at chapter one and discover how Nehemiah got to this condition. In chapter one, Nehemiah had heard from his brother who had just come back from Jerusalem that the walls of the city were still broken down. Now that's broken down from 586 BC. This is 140 years later and the walls had never been repaired. Yes, Ezra had gone back And yes, Zerubbabel had gone back after the decree of Cyrus in 539 when he took over immediately. Cyrus, when he saw what was happening in 538, issued a decree. After three years, the children of Israel got 50,000 people at least together to go back. In 535, they laid the foundation of the temple. In 534, they abandoned it because they became discouraged because they did not stand up for what was right and follow through on things. And as you know, as we discussed in the book of Ezra, that God sent two fiery prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. They got the people started again. They worked with them. And in 516, the second temple was indeed dedicated. But what happened? What happened? The people just spiritually left again. They went back to building their own houses, doing their own things, and there was really no track for them to run on. God raised up Ezra, and in 458, there was a small band, a a second return under Ezra, and he took back a lot of valuables took back some people with him. He took back some wealthy people with him. And so they went back and Ezra began his work. And we're going to talk more about Ezra's work as we go through the book of Nehemiah. But I want you to understand that even though the temple was rebuilt, after there was some rituals of righteousness that were restored under Ezra, when Nehemiah's brother came back from Jerusalem, Nehemiah said, how is the city doing? Mount Zion, the great city of God, how is it doing? And his brother gave him a horrible report. He said the walls are continually and continuously broken down. That's right. Even after decades of the temple being rebuilt, the people being back in the land, they don't even care enough about the city to build back the walls. It was just in a bad state, and I believe the walls 
gave Nehemiah the idea that perhaps if the walls and everything was crumbling around the city, that means that the spiritual aspects of the city were probably in that bad of shape as well. The gates had been burned with fire. They were made of wood. The city was totally vulnerable. And so let's just pick up on the story. Now, this happened, this report to Nehemiah happened in the November, December framework time period because it was in the month, according to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1, it was the month of Kislev. Now, that's November, December. Look at chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Now, remember, Nisan is the post-exile name of the month in the Torah that was called Aviv, A-V-I-V. Now, that's the spring month. That's uh, the beginning of spring, the first month of the year, which usually on the Gregorian calendar, the Western calendar that we go by, would be sometime in March or April. So what this means is, ever how you slice it, it is four months later And Nehemiah is still grieved to the core. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that when wine was before him, he said, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And the king immediately noticed his countenance. Again, Nehemiah every day was in close contact with Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes knew this man. They walked hand in hand together. Nehemiah was the one that served him his food. He tasted all his food. He drank all of his wine to make sure it was all good. And here's what Nehemiah said. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Now, that is an incredible statement. Now, I had never been sad in his countenance before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your countenance sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Here was King Artaxerxes, and he said, look, I can tell because your flesh, your skin color still looks the same. You're still walking around. Everything is good with you, so you hadn't been poisoned. I conclude that you you are in depression. You are sad about something. Now, Nehemiah, we've been friends a long time, and you've walked with me and I with you. I want to know what's going on. Why is your face sad? And yet you're not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Now, why would he become dreadfully afraid? Because, you see, these Persian kings really believe that just being in their presence ought to make you happy. I mean, you ought to just be glad to show up and be there. I mean, he could have just said, okay, you're going to not work at this anymore. He could have said, you get out of my presence, I'm going to banish you to some faraway place. Or he could have just had him executed on the spot. And so Nehemiah was very afraid. And he said immediately, because you see, Nehemiah for four months had been thinking about this. So he had a plan. Boy, I mean, there are some real lessons here. When you go before someone or you're talking with someone, 
or you're really contemplating on something, you better have a plan because God may just speak to somebody's heart and say, well, I want to help you with this. And what can I do? And you don't need to at that point say, well, let me pray about that and get back with you because you've just lost an opportunity. You better be praying about it and thinking about it before you ever get all sad and down in the mouth and everything. And especially after four months, you better have a plan. Nehemiah did. And he said, may the king live forever. Now, that's just an expression of respect. And the reason is, he said, look, I'm on your side. I want you to live a long time. I respect you. You have been a blessing to me. And so he said, why should my face not be sad when the city that is the place of my father's tombs lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Now, this is an astonishing phrase, the place of the my father's tombs. And he says it again in verse five, where he says again, he talks about Judah to the city of my father's tombs. Now, why would he talk, be talking about his father's graves? Because he wanted to get the king's attention. He had already been thinking about this again for a long time. And he knew that the Persian kings lay a great deal of value, lay in store a great deal of value for ancestry and heritage. And Nehemiah knew that this would resonate with the king, that this would give him a leg up because he was concerned about his ancestry and taking care of his ancestors' graves and not letting them be desecrated and so forth, which got the king's attention. He said, why wouldn't I be sad when the place of my father's tombs lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? In other words, if he said, if the king said, well, uh, how can I help you with this? How can I fix this? He was planning on, listen, he was planning on granting Nehemiah's request. And Nehemiah, remember, had heard a lot of people come and go, most of them going. And the king probably not helping most of them. So he knew how the king acted. Isn't this amazing? He knew what the king would do. And when the king said these key words to this one or that one, Nehemiah was a great student of the king. And he knew that when the king said this, if he did ever say this, In these four months, Nehemiah had a plan. And so Nehemiah just started right out. And the king said to him, what do you request? Which meant, how can I help you? You see, the king was a solutions man. Whatever you think about him, he didn't, he wasn't a problem man. He was a problem solver. So Nehemiah, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now he did that silently. I mean, he did that in his heart and mind. Now, This shows us a real key insight into the Word of God, into the heart of God, into the reality of our relationship with God. Nehemiah was in the presence of two kings. He was in the presence of an earthly king, but he was much more aware of the king of heaven and earth. And so the scripture says that Nehemiah prayed, he prayed to the God of heaven. He knew that the one that he was praying to had more power than the one he was standing before. Listen to me. You and I need to so walk with God that we're more aware of the presence of God than we are the people around us. 
that we understand we are to please and say the right things because we are in the presence of Almighty God instead of trying to please someone that's around us. We need to know that God hears what we say. He sees what's in our heart. Nehemiah knew that, and he said, I prayed to the God of heaven, and then immediately I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, only God can grant that. I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He said, well, what I want to do, matter of fact, you can help me. I need to go rebuild that city. I need to go do it. Then the king said to me, and look at this, it's a parenthetical statement, and the queen also sitting beside him, now only someone who was there, who was in the midst of this, would know to write this down. It was something because it wasn't always the case. And here was the queen sitting beside him. She heard the whole thing. And so he said, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set a time. Nehemiah had already again been working on this and he knew this is about how long this is going to take and I need to tell the king I need to be ready to tell him. So he did. Furthermore, I said to the king This is amazing. He asked for passage. He asked for letters that would help him to get the passage that he needed to go through all these various areas that he had to pass through. He asked for provision. He said, now, since you asked me, I want to tell you, I need some letters of recommendation from you, King, because I'm going through some places, as you know, because Nehemiah had been privy to a lot of information. These governors are going to want papers because they don't know who I am, but King, they know who you are. So would you sign your name to give me passage? And also, King, while you're at it, would you send a letter to the keeper of the king's forest that I'm going to need lumber for these projects. We need to rebuild the citadel. That is the place where the temple area is guarded and the city is guarded, the citadel. We're going to need timbers for the city wall. And uh, I'm going to need to live somewhere. And even though we're going to use limestone to build, which is Jerusalem's primary stone, I'm not worried about the stone for the walls. I'm not worried about anything except... I need some timber. I need help with that. So he asked for passage, for provision, and then for help with the projects. And the king granted it all. He said, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Now, think about this. Ezra had a small group, a lot of valuables. He was taking a lot with him, and he didn't feel led to have the king send any army people with him. And he wanted to trust God and show the king that indeed that God was in control. But Nehemiah, here is Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is not taking all that many valuables, uh, like to build a temple or anything. He was asking the king for all of these other things that he needed, and the king sent an army and army personnel with him to protect him, and Nehemiah took it. You see, it's not always one way, and not one way is right and one way is wrong. We just need to learn to follow God at the particular time because we think everything we do is going to set a precedent. What we need to understand is we have to walk with God step by step, and many times, even in doing the work of God, God will do something one way this time and another way the other time. Why do we try to put God in a box and say you got to do it the same way every time? 
God does things in ways that we don't uh, always understand. Who was right, Nehemiah or Ezra? Yes, they both were right because they were both following God. And the moment you try to put God in a box and say, well, you did it this way over here, you got to do it this way over here, God doesn't have to do anything. God is God. These men were both following God. Well, as is the case is, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they didn't like it because they were losing control. That's the way it always is. I don't care if it's a country, a community, or a church. It's the same thing. There's power-hungry people out there, and the moment you threaten their power source, they're going to get all upset. And so here's what happened. He came to Jerusalem and had just a short time there, and he had a uh, night rider event to where he went out and surveyed just uh, with a handful of people, didn't tell any of the dignitaries what he was going to do, and he went out and surveyed the walls. The scripture says in verse 17, he said to the people, you see the distress that we're in, Jerusalem lies waste, the gates are burned with fire. And he said, now let's get on with this thing. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we will no longer be a reproach. That means a disgrace. The word reproach means disgrace in this context. He said, this is disgraceful. This has been going on for 75 or 80 years. What is happening here? Let's get on with this. And I told them of the hand of God, the hand of my God had been good to me and also the king's words that, that he had spoken. So they said to Nehemiah, let us rise and build. Wow. What a phrase. Let us rise up, stand up and build. Let's do something. Men, let's be men. It says, then they set their hands to do this good work. Now, what happened? People started laughing at them. Is that it? Is this what they're going to do? Why? Why? Look at this. They think they're going to do something big. And so the scripture says that they began to say, oh, so now you're going to go against king. Same thing they said to Zerubbabel. And they discouraged Zerubbabel. But look here. Verse 20 says, So I answered Nehemiah and said unto them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, you get out of here. Leave us alone. We're not asking you for anything. We're going to do the work of God whether you like it or not. I love it. That's the answer that the people of God need to have as we walk on the way. This is Tony Chris. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.